0: And we welcome you to the Monday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. Well, the entire world has uh, been sort of turned upside down by COVID-19 and uh, every facet of society, and not just here in the United States, of course, but across the globe. Life is profoundly different right now for all of us. One sector that has been very powerfully affected is that of education, not only public schools but uh, institutions of higher education as well. And I, of course, know something about that very, very directly. We're going to be talking today on the morning show with the respective heads of of three colleges here in uh, the Kenosha Racine area, or at least we have extended those invitations and we hope that, in fact, three interviews uh, can be recorded to be part of this conversation. We are beginning with uh, the institution that actually uh, owns and operates WGTD itself, namely Gateway Technical College, which uh, is the largest of these three institutions given its scope across several different counties and several different campuses. And Brian Albrecht, in the midst of what I am sure is a ferociously busy and complicated schedule, uh, has made time to have a conversation to talk a bit about Gateway's response to the COVID-19 crisis. President Brian Albrecht, we welcome you to the morning show.
1: Well, thank you, Greg. And I just want to thank you for uh, keeping this conversation going in our community. There's nothing more important than really trying to better understand as much information as we can about the coronavirus. Um, This is certainly sweeping the globe, as you mentioned, and is affecting and impacting all of us right here in our home communities. So thank you.
0: I wonder if you can recollect when you and your circle of advisors at Gateway first began anticipating some possible interruption in activities here at Gateway I mean I'm ass- I'm sure well before it became a- an immediate concern uh it was something on the horizon that uh you were probably watching with some concern can you talk about those early days of of this uh situation?
1: Yeah, sure. I know I think um so for most of us we didn't anticipate the impact right here in the United States and certainly in our own communities. But over a month ago we were hearing about it in China and things that were happening over in Europe and for us that meant that some of our students might be impacted because we have international exchange programs. And several of our students were getting ready to put their final plans together to visit to South Africa, myself included. I was going to be with them on that trip. And uh, we really took a hard look at, is that the right thing to do at this time, knowing what was going on in other regions of the world? So that was our first real introduction to think like maybe we wouldn't be doing things like we um, anticipated even a few weeks later. No one would have known or predicted that within a a week after our first discussion around, you know, is it safe to send students, that there would be quarantines and that there would be limits on access to um, international education. And we started to hear about some of the changes that were taking place in colleges and universities, uh, you know, stopping those exchange programs. And then I think it really sunk in when Mark Mooney, the the, uh, chancellor at UW-Milwaukee, um, publicly stated that they were going to begin to uh, close down the campus and that was a reality that we need to start thinking about what our alternative methods are to help our students right here complete their degrees. So long picture was seems like it's going to affect our international experience closer to home. It became a reality that this is going to affect all students.
0: When you say we needed to uh, think about what to do about this and how to assist our students and so on, can you give us some idea of who exactly we is or are? Uh, who, Who, along with you, has been confronting this situation and consulting with you on what to do?
1: Sure. Let me start with kind of the biggest picture possible. Um, Gateway is a part of Wisconsin Technical College System, so the state system office through the governor's office has been giving us advice and guidance on what some of the closings that were taking place and what the governor was recommending. And now, of course, it's become a reality that uh, we know very clearly that no more than 10 people per gathering and that you know bars and restaurants and large venues are being uh, required to close. So that advice and guidance gave us some indication of what the expectations were of the colleges, and then I just want to really thank Chancellor Ford and President Swallow because the three of us have been communicating around what is your plan for your campus because it will affect the other campuses. So the three of us have been coordinating some of our responses as well. Um, but locally, it's been partnerships with the local health departments, the mayors, and I really appreciate their extension of how we can be you know, a part of the solution for our community. Um, at Gateway, we have an executive leadership team, and we engaged the Dean of Healthcare, Vicki Halbach, and our Director of Security Mark, um, Tom Kusnio. and we assessed our pandemic plan about 10 days ago, and we revised it and updated it, and we put together an action uh, team that met, uh, gosh, all day Saturday. Um, then virtually on Sunday and all day Monday and Tuesday, and that's when I was beginning to roll out the announcements uh, last week around the plan to begin to move campus services to an online delivery and that students would not be allowed back on campus. So um, I think it's been an all-out effort. Every employee has been involved in the process, but just a big credit to our dean of nursing, our director of security, and our executive leadership team to put
0: gateway strategy together. I'm intrigued by uh, what you just mentioned about a pandemic plan already being in place. At least I think that's what you said, if I understood you correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it common for schools like Gateway Technical College to have a pandemic plan? And uh, without probably going into very much detail, can you give us some sense of the way in which that pandemic plan, whatever it was, Uh, needed to be, in a sense, reshaped for this current crisis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it is. Most uh, schools, not just colleges and universities, but K-12 systems have an emergency management plan process in place. There's so much focus on school security uh, these days that the expectation is that we will know how we're going to respond in major crisis situations. I think it was a few years ago the SARS breakout, and there's been a few others along the way that has really caused, uh, as a nation, the educational institutions to be able to identify and make sure that we have practices in place. Those are reported back to the U.S. Department of Education. So there is a process in place to at least document what the expectations are. Now, I have to tell you that... Um, while we had that in place and we have good documentation, when it becomes real for you in your home community, those things become very fluid. And so we needed to really assess what the expectations were, especially around this particular virus, because we had no experience in it. So we know there's no cure for it. We know that this is a a, a virus that can live in some ways on surfaces. So we changed our cleaning practices. We had never really heard of this idea of social distancing. We had to think seriously, what does that mean for classroom sizes and groups and, that are in a meeting and really trying to assess you know, what services do we currently provide that could be impacted by these new rules and new guidance factors that were coming out. So we, we modified our plan and we put together an action plan that clearly laid out, um, you know, how many students we were going to allow into a, a, a program or into a, a, a building at, at any one certain time. And we thought that that was the answer. And then three hours later, it came back and said, no students at all. And then it came three hours later and said, okay, we better start thinking about our closing procedures. And then shortly after that, it was like, all programs online, how can we develop the support services that are necessary to at least keep some students engaged, recognizing that not all students are going to be able to have access to all the online services, but those that we can serve, we want to serve. So our plan became big picture, narrower and narrow, all the way down to the point where how do we actually identify the students that are going to be able to take advantage of the online programming. Mm.
0: For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking right now with Brian Albrecht, who is the president of Gateway Technical College. Later in the hour, uh, we are hoping to hear from President uh, John Swallow at Carthage College and Chancellor Debbie Ford at uh, the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Uh, so, uh, President Albrecht, we should talk first of all, because of course I think this is, it's fair to say it is the paramount concern of, of, of everyone a- around this issue, is uh, what you just were talking about in terms of continuing the education experience of as many Gateway students as possible uh, through the course of this uh, interruption. And uh, one of the things that, of course, that is especially difficult is that Gateway teaches so many different things, and uh, and some of those programs lend themselves probably fairly seamlessly to uh, online learning, and and others simply do not. Is the hope and intention that every program at Gateway is continuing through this interruption, or are there certain programs that, uh, for all intents and purposes, need to come to a stop because they simply can't be taught online? Can you share anything yeah, about really that?
1: Good. It's really good question, Greg. And so our our intent is to make sure that every program has some level of online support or what we call virtual learning support. So several years ago, Gateway began to build that capacity so all of our programs currently have what's called the blackboard shell so there is a an internet-based experience for the students already it's where their you know their schedule is on there and they have um, the the basic content of the curriculum that's on there and and faculty can include you know different learning lessons so there is some experience that's already expected for every program but what's unique is many of our programs have a a, um, integrated lab experience so automotive is an example. There's, uh, you know, the Horizon Center has cars in it, or healthcare. We have human patient simulators, or CNC for machining uh, careers. So what we're doing is we're building a bridge. We're five weeks away from the end of the semester, and what we've put together, and just a great big credit to our faculty. They've worked so hard on all of this. They've taken their content and identified what lessons could be taught in a virtual learning environment, or primarily online, but enhanced with video or, or PowerPoint presentations. We can assess those through an online method. Then, if competency that to be demonstrated, whenever we feel comfortable uh, as a society to let students back into the lab, we will have them come in for lab experiences. And we will do that in a a scheduled pattern so that we're not letting 20 students in at a time. It'll just be small groups just to finish out this semester. So our short-term goal was how do we bridge from what we know now into the last five weeks of expectations or competencies that students need to learn. Long term, we need to think seriously about uh, how do we continue to prepare and offer services that are going to have either a hybrid or more of a focus on online learning should anything like this happen again. but. I just can't emphasize enough the work of our deans, our faculty. Uh, They've been working on this for over a week now to kind of put all these systems in place, and I've heard so many positive comments from our faculty that they're ready, they're prepared, they will support students to whatever end it takes, and that uh, we will help students with support services. So we also integrated online tutoring, online advising, um, online registration processes, We transformed our business office for online so our faculty and staff will continue to be paid throughout this this time. Our HR department is now online. Our marketing department is online. Our IT tech support is online. So basically, we went from a face-to-face occupational college, and within 48 hours, we are an online college. And uh, that's the severity of the situation we're in because what we also know is that at no greater time in our community do we need – nurses, firefighters, police officers, first responders, and the only way to get those competencies and skills is to go through an education training program, and we're going to make sure that we're here for our community to have those programs available. They'll look different, the delivery model will be different, but the knowledge and skills will be the same as what we've been doing in a traditional fashion.
0: Can you give us some sense of just how monumental a task it was to transfer things like the business office into an online realm? Uh, I mean, yeah. it sounds like it would be tremendously complicated. And, of course, we're not just talking about the business office, but every other office of the college, uh, in effect. Uh, what was that process like?
1: Exactly, yes. Yeah. So um, so late last week, we called meetings of every single division, and they began to develop their practices and protocols to make all of these services uh, available to our community to our faculty and staff and to our students so as an example in the business office many of the functions of the business office already had an online component so our vendors are online and we can you know uh, disperse funds online our banks are online it was just a matter of how do we now transfer that skill set into an alternative environment than an office complex so every faculty member every staff member now has a portal they all have laptops that they've been issued to take home. We've set up Zoom accounts for everyone so we can have interaction and have uh, group meetings without actually being in a certain location. Um, and then they develop protocols for themselves of how they're going to check in, how they're going to be accountable, how we're going to make sure that we maintain the relations and the connections that we know are necessary to operate, in that case, a business office or an HR department. Um, so it's pretty amazing. And I think it helped us reflect a little bit on just how dynamic our team members are in order to put those services in place. And I shared with everyone too that um, while we went into this, not really knowing what the outcomes would be, I'm extremely proud that we will be a stronger college as a result because we now know more about the services that are available through technology, and we'll be able to integrate those into our traditional normal operating procedures once we get through this virus.
0: So, so you see that as uh, one bright spot in what otherwise is, of course, uh, a pretty dark situation for for, for everybody concerned. That this has been, uh, in a, a quite a profound way, a learning experience for Gateway and those of you who lead Gateway.
1: Absolutely, I, I you know I'm so um, encouraged by the way that everyone at Gateway has addressed this challenge. So they've come together as a team. Um, setting everything aside to say we now no longer have time to try to debate and figure out what the solution is. We need a solution, you know. In our case, by last Wednesday, uh, when we closed the doors on Wednesdays, we went virtual. That meant that everything had to be in place. So, the the frame, the time frame, helped us better understand the, the complexity as well as the importance of making sure that we're able to communicate and reach out to our to our customers. Um, that in itself, building that team cohesive environment, enhancing the culture, and then understanding all the different delivery methods and becoming comfortable with it. So we didn't have a lot of time to say, okay, we're all going to go through professional development. We said, on your own, you got to learn how to, you know, have a Zoom meeting so that we can communicate. We have to learn on our own how we're going to be able to deliver and assess content and curriculum in a program that uh, in the past we would have had a textbook or maybe a PowerPoint in the classroom. And so everybody stepped up to that challenge. And uh, we're going to, continue to monitor it. We do daily get feedback from everyone. How are we doing? What can we do to increase our support? Good example of that. Early on, we didn't think off the top of our head that we're going to need some additional online tutoring services that are going to include some level of uh, sign language because we have students that uh, are visually impaired. So we had to adapt quickly and make sure that we have those services available. Um, So there's some unique things that happen every day in our lives that we sort of take for granted until you actually have to analyze every element of that, and then how are you going to backfill that and support it?
0: Hmm. So to reiterate for uh, the listening public, uh, my understanding is that every single building of Gateway Technical College's multiple campuses uh, are locked, are closed off to the public. Nobody should try to visit any Gateway Technical College building, correct? Correct.
1: That is correct. Uh, all facilities have gone dark. Uh, we will use that time for a deep cleaning of every facility. We'll have some security and general maintenance to make sure that all all the um, infrastructure systems continue to work. But no, no community members, no students, no staff are allowed to report to the buildings. Um, our first and foremost uh, effort in this whole process was to make sure that we keep people safe, including our staff and our students, and that uh, they take care of their families. Uh, We will be here for them when they're ready. Uh, We're going to put services online. So if this is extended over several weeks, that they have access to Gateway uh, in new ways. But first and foremost, I'm asking everyone to take this pandemic very seriously and find ways to make sure that you also Self-contained, self-quarantine. Keep your social distance, um, but do it in a way that's going to be able to provide you the opportunity to keep your family safe.
0: Um, a last quick question: This closure of all Gateway campuses uh, and uh, of all Gateway offices uh, for the moment is in effect until uh, early April, I believe, or April fifth. Um, is there a specific time at which you anticipate you and your advisors? Uh, examining that and making a decision about whether or not that is viable or if or if uh, the the closure will need to be extended uh, do you have even a rough sense of when you will know more about that particular matter?
1: Yes uh, so as everyone knows I'm sure this so fluid it changes uh, daily and sometimes even in midday but we we have identified April fifth and then coming back to classes on April 6th But I say that with the context that not traditional classes, so as I mentioned earlier, our programs will be delivered in a hybrid or online fashion. Those students that need to have competencies evaluation or a testing experience, that's the the list of students that will come back to class. So they've all been notified how that would work. On April 1st, we will meet as an executive leadership team to see if that's even viable. We may have better guidance going forward in the next week to tell us that it's not going to be until you know later in April or even May. Now I'm hearing some schools even, even in June. So we're going to have to monitor very closely how our community's impact on the coronavirus um, plays out. Uh, again, there's nothing that is so urgent that we have to have everybody back. I would rather have everybody be safe and in their homes making sure that we're doing the right thing to protect the the general society as opposed to Gateway stepping out of line saying, no, we want everyone back. So safety first, then we will build capacity back up at the college. I expect just as it took several days to off-ramp our services, it will take several days or weeks or maybe even months to on-ramp back on to to when we're back to normal.
0: Hmm. President Brian Albrecht, I so appreciate you sharing uh, with such clarity and forthrightness a very, very complicated uh, situation, confronting not only Gateway and not only the other colleges in town, but confronting all of us in all of the arenas of our lives. This is unprecedented for all of us, and it's great uh, to hear a little bit about how Gateway has uh, been confronting this complicated Challenge it in some way. It gives all of us uh, a sense of hope that, uh, with ingenuity and tenacity, this is something that we can confront and and eventually uh, surmount. Thank you so much for uh, making time for this conversation on the morning show.
1: It's, it's my pleasure, Greg. And uh, stay safe, please.
0: And now I'm very happy to shift my attention uh, from. Brian Albrecht, president of Gateway Technical College, to Dr. John Swallow, president of Carthage College, which is also where I happen to teach. And uh, President Swallow, as you can well imagine, uh, has been very busy over the last uh, days and weeks uh, contending with this unexpected uh, COVID-19 threat and uh, has had to uh, be part of some very, very difficult and complicated decisions Uh, regarding Carthage, and uh, we're going to be talking with him about this for the next uh, few minutes. Uh, uh, President Swallow, I appreciate you making time in what I'm sure is a hectic schedule for you. Thank you for allowing time for this conversation.
2: I'm glad to talk with you, Greg.
0: So do you happen to recall the first time that you and any of your uh, inner advisors at Carthage first began thinking about the COVID-19 uh, threat and thinking seriously about its potential ramifications for Carthage. Do you recall when that thinking first began?
2: I don't remember an exact day, Greg. Uh, I think we were following the news much like everyone else. And uh, when there were the first conversations about it, we were reviewing how we would handle quarantining uh, what we thought then might be a few students and uh, what our capacity was for that. Um, it was only really in the last week that it ramped up so quickly, uh, to the point that um, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday evening, I felt that I had to fly home. Uh, that was last week. Um, from other trips I was making because the situation was evolving so quickly.
0: So you were you were elsewhere and and headed home to Carthage so you could be a more uh, effective instrument in in these discussions and these decisions that that had to be made. At a place like Carthage, which of course is a private institution uh, owned by the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, so a a different institution from, for instance, Gateway or the University of Wisconsin Parkside, who is it that uh, is responsible for the kind of really big decisions that have had to be made on behalf of the college uh, most recently?
2: Well, I would say I have to be responsible as the president and CEO of the institution. Uh, We're certainly responsible to the state and the federal government for laws, and we certainly want to follow guidelines. Uh, But really, the buck stops with me. Uh, If there were uh, situations of very significant fiduciary responsibility, then I would need to uh, convene a meeting of the board to decide. But really, for the day-to-day uh questions about how to manage through issues in a crisis then that would that would be me and my team.
0: Hmm. And can you just give us without naming names of course but give us a sense of of the makeup of that team of closest advisors who were really with you in the trenches as you were wrestling with uh, some of these very difficult decisions that had to be made.
2: Well, our provost uh has been absolutely vital. He's become a chief operating officer so the two of us work very closely. Uh, we have a CFO, newly um, who is just outstanding, and uh, her uh, advice has been very important. And then also I have someone who's serving in a chief organizational development role and that oversees HR. And so when we think about our responsibility to staff and faculty, uh, all those folks together, uh, then our dean of students, our vice president for student affairs, is vitally important when we're thinking about how we're uh, able to handle students and their situations. So uh, those would be absolutely a core team. Um, And because we are a residential campus, uh, and we feel a a great responsibility not only to be delivering the education, but also uh, to be feeding and housing students, Uh, there are a lot of questions that came up early about uh, whether we could handle uh, students with uh, disease getting here, uh, how many of those, and then... So students that would have real extenuating circumstances and to which we would still feel responsible to house them and feed them, uh, even as we move forward in the months ahead.
0: Right. So, uh, one of the things that I suppose, in some ways, if one can find a silver lining in any of this, is the fact that some of the most crucial decisions about Carthage and what to do in the wake of this uh, COVID 19 uh, crisis. Uh, was that Carthage was on spring break. And if I'm remembering correctly, it would be the Tuesday of spring break that you were, in a sense, frantically flying back uh, home uh, to be on the ground to be part of of these discussions. What what difference do you think that made in terms of of Carthage being on spring break and the decisions that, that were made then from there?
2: Well, we felt that that was a blessing because we had a little bit of leeway to think through a lot of the questions. Uh, if it had been just a few days before spring break started, then we would have felt a, a need to maybe rush decisions faster. Uh, but since it was Tuesday and we, got, we really dug in in earnest on the Wednesday of spring break, uh, we felt that uh, students weren't planning to come back until, you know, the weekend mostly. Uh, and so we had a little bit of breathing room. And then we felt that uh, given that we were going to need to go online, it wasn't difficult or wasn't going to cause great difficulty to families to simply extend that spring break by a week to give faculty uh, and the staff that support them enough time to gear up for the online education. So things, you're right, would have looked much different if we'd been in the semester um, or had just come back from spring break. Um, All those things affected uh, how rapidly we felt like we needed to take on the issues.
0: Right. So uh, maybe you could Talk a moment about uh, the thinking that went into uh, not so much the decision about extending spring break. That was uh, uh, a, probably a relatively easy decision to make, I should think. But but beyond that, the decision then to go entirely to uh, online learning and for a certain period of time. Uh, if you would, just take us inside what what those conversations were. I mean, was that basic decision in a sense very easy to make? Uh, or, or, or or did it require extensive discussion, or was it more about the, the details involved in the implementation of what was an open-and-shut, fairly easy decision to make?
2: Well, it certainly wasn't an easy one, and uh, we're committed to the safety of all of our students and faculty and staff, and what has been difficult through this, and, and I know all of us have been uh, engaging in the news in different ways, is to know uh, how to... Uh, choose among the various recommendations and uh, to understand how severe, uh, not not the fact that it would be spread so quickly, but uh, how it might affect different people, because that would affect our thinking. Um, this was made a bit easier in recognizing that simply given the fact that people would need to quarantine for 14 days, that really led to lots of consequences. So even if the disease had not been thought to be uh, as severe from a health point of view, if that 14 days had perpetuated, had been the case, then we were thinking about what that would mean to all the in-person classes. There would be a rolling series of students having to leave, uh, telling their faculty member, I'm going to be out for two weeks and I need some accommodation to do my assignments, and then I'm going to be coming back in. And when you start thinking about tens and hundreds of students doing that, even if they're all going to be fine, even if you're not worried about the spread. That is a significant educational disruption, and I just didn't think that there was any way it was feasible to have students coming in and out of all of our classes, in which case we needed to have one method to deliver it to all of them, and that would be online, and then if people were quarantined or not, uh, they can still engage the class, and faculty would have one way in which they were trying to keep everyone on schedule and evaluate their work. Hmm. Uh, as it became clear that it was a severe uh, disease that we really did want to uh, do everything we could to keep the spread down then that decision in retrospect looked also good Uh, and if we had known the severity of it or had appreciated it as earlier it would have made an an easier decision but it was really that 14 days and the disruption it was going to cause in any case Hmm. that uh, made the online question so so
0: simple right so I want to have you describe to our listeners something which I have seen firsthand as a participant, namely the kind of preparation, the in-services that have been going on uh, at the Carthage campus over the last several days. We are recording this uh, this interview on Wednesday the 18th, and... Uh, uh, I don't know how much you have actually been on site to to witness uh, what's been going on, but I know you're well aware of the dimensions of of the project and of the undertaking. Explain to our listeners what has been going on uh, with the faculty of of Carthage over the last uh, several days.
2: It's really been a great opportunity for uh, faculty and staff to pull together uh, in a situation where we have a clear goal and a clear deadline. We've had a number of faculty who were already doing a bit of online education, uh, had some experience, Uh, others who are just very technologically experienced and enjoy that kind of thing. And so we had 20 to 30 who said that they were uh, willing to assist others and mount workshops. And so in concert with our library and information system staff, we were able to uh, convene them, uh, have them think about how the workshop should go, how we could deliver information to faculty who would need to ramp up quickly uh, how that could go, and then those were launched uh, Monday and Tuesday this week. So I've been really pleased and actually gratified to see the patience and grace that everyone has uh, with all of this, and even a sense of humor at appropriate moments uh, as we all kind of band together and lock arms and do what we need to do to pull this off.
0: Right. I think one of the uh, trickiest matters, and uh, it's not unique to Carthage, I think this is Uh, a difficulty being uh, contended with uh, at Gateway and and at uh, Parkside as well, and that is the fact that uh, some courses and coursework are mostly about ideas that uh, are mostly talked about, and then there are other learning situations that are, in a sense, are are much more tangible, uh, be they... uh, uh, the kind of thing that involves uh, a lab science or something like welding here at Gateway, uh, can you just share a thought or two about uh, that complexity here about trying to deliver meaningful online education when we are talking about a, a rather wide swath of of educational topics and situations
2: oh I know greg uh, the the hands on you know in person work is just so vital to so much of education that it happens and it's something we've been long committed to as a residential liberal arts college and so each discipline has to face this in different ways and and some frankly are going to have an easier time and others it's just going to be very challenged to think about substitutes and and maybe laying out a protocol of what you would have done in a lab if you could have. Sometimes there are online simulations uh, that can be used and on the other side I've been really just touched to see that some Students and faculty are taking the opportunity to post on social media you know, a selection from the concert that they would have given. Uh, Anna Brown and Emma Swain, two uh, wonderful undergraduates, uh, just posted recently under a hashtag #WeAreCarthage uh, a, a duet that they would have sung in their senior recital together. And it's just it's just amazing to see the kind of creativity. Right. I'm, the I'm the two of them sitting
0: in them their car. Them. Yes, that's a it's a <laughs> yeah. wonderful video. Yeah, go ahead.
2: And I'm just hopeful that with enough creativity, uh, you know, and again, patience and grace, we can we can do as best we can. But I'm certainly not uh, here to say that it's going to be, uh, you know, a perfect substitute for what would have happened in person.
0: Can you say a word about what I know is also a complication uh, f- for you and, and, uh, and I'm sure especially the dean of students, and namely the fact that Carthage has some international students and you are wanting to make sure that they are taken care of and safe. Uh can you just uh, explain a little bit about how their safety and well-being is uh is being taken care of
2: Sure so we have a list of the remaining students in the dorms uh that's between 50 and 100 and uh they've been given exceptions for different circumstances so if they're international and they can't go home or uh if they have a home environment that is particularly challenged or um, and or they're lacking a means to get home, depending on how far away they live and their financial circumstances, uh, we're certainly attending to all of them and remain committed to making sure that they're housed and they can eat while they're here. Uh, that's simply something that you know, we, we, we feel is an absolute commitment. Uh, we can't send people into situations that uh, will be ones that they're not able to handle. Uh, so we will continue to do that uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, our food service continues to operate, uh, albeit uh, at a very low level, and uh, the kitchen can prepare takeout items for students to take to their rooms and so on. It's not, it's not pleasant. It's not what everyone uh, had wanted, uh, but we can still make sure that they can uh, live uh, acceptably well here and safely uh, as we face the rest of this time.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you just give us at least a general sense of, at what point you think it will be time for you and your advisors to uh, look at the calendar and, and make some decisions about what comes next. I believe uh, at the time that these changes were made, your tentative hope uh, was that perhaps uh, sometime in early April it might be possible to resume at least something sort of vaguely resembling a normalcy. Uh, but, of course, that, that was said knowing full well that uh, no one – could know the future for certain. At what point will uh, will uh, the next step start to become clear? Do you think?
2: Well, the situation does change every day, and it's it's hard to to know exactly the future. Of course, uh, but we do need to make uh, a next decision. We had said that uh, following Easter break we would return to uh, residential education, if possible, of course. Um, so I'm going to be thinking hard about that in the next days and talking to the team and think by Monday we'll have to have uh, a next communication about what we're thinking about the rest of the semester.
0: Very good. Not easy times, not easy decisions. I appreciate you taking time out of a very busy schedule to uh, share some thoughts on how Carthage is contending with this unprecedented situation and challenge. Dr. John Swallow, the president of Carthage College, thank you so much. Best wishes to you. Thank you, Greg. And to finish out uh, our program today, I'm really pleased to be speaking with Chancellor Debbie Ford from right up the road in the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Uh, Chancellor Ford, uh, thank you for making time for this conversation.
3: Well, Greg, thank you for having me and my colleagues Brian and John on your show, and thank you for being a source of uh, information uh, for all of your listeners as we adapt and really uh, change uh, through the pandemic uh, and this public health emergency that we have uh, globally.
0: Yeah. So, w- what's your recollection of when you and your advisors at Parkside first began talking about the coronavirus? At what point did it seem like at least a remote possibility of impacting Parkside? And then, at what point did it become clear that, in fact, it was going to be an impact on you and the college?
3: Well, for us, we started talking about this before we started our spring semester. And so in January, we were certainly watching what was happening around the world. Uh, We have faculty and students that traveled during the break of, you know, December and January and and monitoring uh, their return. We uh, sent some information about facts, what is COVID-19, coronavirus, to our faculty and staff in late January. And then we activated our uh, pandemic team uh, and our pandemic plan. We certainly had to revise that based on, because that was developed about, I believe, 10 years ago when um, uh, SARS. And and so we started talking about this in January, even before the semester started.
0: Wow. That's probably a good thing. And then, of course, at some point uh, more recently, I'm sure it began became very very clear that in fact the impact was going to be uh to the local level and uh, and significant. Uh, who is the team that uh along with you uh has to confront some of these questions and come up with some of these decisions? Who has been working with you on this?
3: Yes. So I have during as we let me back up. As we are in this time of what I consider pandemic response Uh, We are responding to information that is uh, being made available uh, via the federal government, state government, local, uh, certainly UW system. I decided to designate our chancellor's cabinet, uh, the campus leaders as the pandemic response executive team, as we continue to monitor uh, the decisions and make our own decisions and how they will impact the UW Parkside learning community. And for us, we have set four main goals uh, for the immediate future. The first is, is and has always been the health and safety of our learning community. The second is how do we deliver our academic mission with the focus on teaching and learning. And as you know, we have made the decision to complete the semester in a alternative delivery methods, mostly online. And I can certainly talk a little bit more about that. Our third goal is uh, to help and do our part to flatten the curve and with COVID-19. And then our fourth goal is to leverage what I consider the expertise of our faculty and staff and certainly the assets that we have at the university to help the community respond. We're spending less time on the fourth goal right now because we're really trying to get our um, semester ready to go on March the 30th and getting our support services and, and um, curriculum online and in these deliver alternative delivery methods. But we will be ready to help the community because that's what a university does. And that's what our university has done over our 51 year history is to be available for our community.
0: Certainly has. So you are on spring break right now or a special created break that was otherwise not in the calendar.
3: Right. So we added this week as an extra week of spring break our uh, official spring break per the 20, spring 20 uh, cal- academic calendar is next week. So this week our focus has been on getting our faculty and st- instructional staff ready to deliver their courses. Uh, we're making excellent and outstanding progress because of the dedication and resiliency of our faculty and staff. And then we're transitioning to understand what our students will need and how best we communicate with them, provide them with the appropriate resources as they begin uh, to think about returning on March 30th uh, to engage in new ways, uh, digitally and uh, in online chats, online courses, and really do things differently as we complete the semester.
0: The University of Wisconsin Parkside is, of course, part of the UW system. I would be really curious to know what kind of decisions have been Yours to make, yours and your cabinets to make, versus other decisions that might conceivably be made uh, f- from a system-wide basis. Uh, what has the sort of the the separation of of, of authority and extent of authority been uh, through this pandemic uh, episode?
3: Right. Well, I would say, Greg, that here at UW Parkside and across the University of Wisconsin system, the campuses have a- autonomy. Uh, to make decisions. But we, in this situation with the pandemic and in others, we do try to coordinate and collaborate where possible. But the key decisions that have been made have been made at the local level. So we have made those decisions. We have uh, drafted and prepared our communication strategy and communication uh, to our faculty, staff, and broader community. And uh, but we certainly are coordinating with our sister campuses and with the UW system administration.
0: So it, it, it is a cooperative uh, relationship, but the system, at least by and large, allows each individual university to make the decisions that they feel uh, serve them best.
3: Correct. And again, I think focused on how do we best deliver our mission of our academic mission, serving our students. And they are certainly giving us guidance and where appropriate they would make the decisions that would be across the system, but the, the decisions that have made to, been made to date have been made at the local level.
0: Very good. So uh, you were saying that this week, the in, in essence, the first week of a two-week spring break is being taken up with faculty preparation for whatever comes next. Can you just give us some sense of... What is going on uh, in, in terms of that? What kind of preparations are underway? And in a sense, what does it sort of look like and feel like?
3: Well, first of all, I think most folks are working remotely. So we are transitioning just as some of the other campuses to uh, remote work or telecommuting, as it is defined, for our faculty and instructional staff. We are making sure that they have their courses loaded in the um, online delivery method, which is for here at UW Parkside, it's called Canvas. And then for those that have have not done that, which is very few, because many are using the Canvas and online technologies to support their even face-to-face classes, we are making sure that they have the right training protocols and that... Folks in our Innovations and Learning Center and our Teaching and Learning Center and the deans uh, are supporting are supporting their specific needs.
0: Very good. So we move into a different mode next week. That is UW Parkside as the prep continues, but shifting in a sense from attention on the faculty and their own technical preparedness to the preparedness of of, of your students. Uh, to receive this new kind of, of teaching. So what is that going to look like next week, or is it hard to say uh, at the moment?
3: No, I, I would say that we are forecasting what those needs might be. I think first and foremost, what is how and how and let me back up, how will we communicate uh, to students in this new digital uh, world that we are embarking on? We need to determine and help Our students that may not have internet access at home um, and or the technologies that they that they need to be able to learn in a digital environment we are conducting those assessments now we are also looking at different alternatives to make sure that our learning community remains vibrant and connected and integrated and so how might our academic support services of the Parkside Academic Resource Center or the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs and student engagement and involvement deliver programs and services in a digital way. And we are all working because our top priority is student success and to help all of our students complete the semester and also um, help those who will graduate in may um, as they complete their semester uh, and academic career here at uw parkside
0: so is the parkside campus for the most part closed i mean obviously there are no classes going on but are offices at parkside still open and will they remain open
3: we have very minimal staffing uh, face-to-face at this point we have a few offices that will uh, be available uh, because we have we have to have continuity of some of our operations and Greg, one of the things we're focused on and thanks to our facilities maintenance and custodial crews, they are disinfecting all of our classrooms. And just to make sure that we can say we've, we have completed that process here at the university. So we are not completely closed, but virtually we will have very, very minimal staffing, uh, particularly for the remainder of this week. and next week because of the spring break. And then we are discussing what it might look like um, after March 30th when we resume the semester. But most importantly, we are following CDC guidance and practicing social distance and not hosting meetings of 10 or more individuals.
0: Very good. Well, uh, it has been gratifying actually to hear from uh, you and from your two counterparts at uh, Carthage and Gateway about uh, the good work and tremendous care that has been taken with these really important decisions. Chancellor Debbie Ford, uh, I thank you for your time. I wish you well, everybody uh, uh, who is part of the UW-Parkside community, and thank you again for being part of the morning show today.
3: Thank you, Greg. Have a And stay well is the best advice.